This is the Down East EM Podcast. Okay, hello everybody and welcome back to the Down East EM Podcast. And thank you for joining us for Ludwig's Angina, which is one of our first in a series of digital lectures or vodcasts showing some physical exams and clinical presentations that really need to be seen. So for Ludwig's Angina, we have a great example of this disease and it's very visual elements of the diagnosis. So let's dive in. So this is actually a patient that I saw some time ago. I was a resident physician working as a third year, working actually with the chair of our department, a very stern, staunch man. And I thought, you know, third year, I'm going to show him what I can do, see how many patients I could see. And a patient with a chief complaint of toothache came up in our fast track. And I imagined something like this. You know, I'd go in there, take a look at the mouth, see if there's anything to drain, see if there's a need for antibiotics, and take care of them. Increase the number of patients per hour, impress my boss, et cetera, et cetera. So I go down to fast track, and kind of in one sentence, I say all the above. I say, hi, ma'am, how you doing? Which tooth is it? How long has it been going on? Go ahead and open up your mouth. And this is what I saw. And my reaction was something like this. Yikes. This is not as advertised. This is certainly not a simple dental infection or dental pain. So let's go over our outline for Ludwig's angina. The first thing we need to do is define the disease. We need to define what we're dealing with here. And in doing so, we really need to lay out the anatomy, recognize the areas of the mouth and face that are involved in this disease process. We're going to talk briefly about source, where the infections are coming from, we're going to review the presentation, and more importantly, we're going to dive into some of the complications or progressions of this disease, and then we'll finally conclude with how to treat it or treatment. So Ludwig's angina, interestingly, angina is a Greek origin word, and it has nothing to do with the heart. It has nothing to do with chest pain. It actually means to strangle. So angina is a term for feeling or being strangled, and that's exactly how these patients feel. They feel strangled. So in defining Ludwig's angina, we recognize the following important elements. It is a submandibular space infection. It is a cellulitis and is classically without abscess. We'll talk more about that in a bit. It is by definition a bilateral disease process, and it is aggressive. It is rapidly spreading. So those four elements go into the diagnosis of Ludwig's, a submandibular space infection or cellulitis, classically without abscess, that is bilateral and aggressive. So you might be saying to yourself, yes, yes, a submandibular space. Sure, let me pull up my netters and remind myself of what we're talking about here. And when you start to dive into the real and potential spaces of the face and neck, you recognize it's very complicated and can get overwhelming relatively quickly. You see here in this graph by Reynolds and Chow, many, many potential spaces, and many areas of communication between them. But I'm always of the opinion, kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. You want to bring it down to a level that's comprehensible and understandable, but more importantly, something that you can remember moving forward as you get further and further away from this learning. Something that will stick with you long term. So here is a submandibular space. This is a simple demonstration of these areas. It's composed of two. The sublingual space, which, as the name implies, lives right under the tongue, and the submylohyoid space, which is underneath this very scrawny muscle, the mylohyoid muscle. 
And importantly, in the posterior aspect of this, there's a communication between these two spaces. They are connected anatomically. So together, the submylohyoid and the sublingual space compose the submandibular space, which is involved or infected in low exangina. So now let's talk source. Now that we've defined the area of disease, we can talk about source. And this is relatively straightforward. Two-thirds of the time, it's from that rotten tooth in the mouth, right? Oftentimes, it's the second or third mandibular molar where there's a portal of entry into the soft tissues. Again, usually a mandibular molar and often the second or third one. The other one-third of the time, it can be from diseases like peritonsillar abscess or a supportive parotitis, but most of the time, we're dealing with a rotten mandibular molar. And that's where the cellulitis enters. That's how the cellulitis takes hold in the floor of the mouth. So we defined the disease. We talked about it being a cellulitis. We talked about source. And that last element, it's aggressive. This is a fast and mean face-eating machine. It can displace the tongue. It can spread quickly through fascial planes. And that's why we care so much about and are so concerned about this disease process because of the rapidity with which it can spread. So in terms of presentation, a lot of this is relatively straightforward. Fever, mouth pain, dysphagia, voice changes, those are some of the elements that we would expect with this disease process. Interestingly, in and of itself, Ludwig's engine does not include trismus. So trismus includes different musculature of the mouth and of the jaw, and having trismus actually represents spread of disease into other potential or real spaces in the mouth. Interestingly, Ludwig's angina typically does not include a significant amount of lymphadenopathy, and it is not being spread through the lymph. It is being spread through these potential and real spaces of the face and mouth, and therefore often does not have a significant lymphadenopathy. And as we mentioned in the definition, especially early in the disease course, abscess is not a component of this disease process. So on physical exam, what does a patient look like? They often have a very full submandibular area. The area under the mandible is full. It is very, very swollen. It's exquisitely tender because it's under a fair amount of pressure, and it classically has this woody or firm feel to it. So one of the reasons why we care so much about this disease and think about it so intensely is because of the displacement of normal anatomy that occurs. As the submandibular space, the floor of the mouth, this potential space gets filled with infection and fluid, and this potential space becomes real, it displaces our normal anatomy. And the biggest victim here, the most concerning victim, is the tongue. So as the submandibular space fills and spreads and becomes larger and displaces our anatomy, the tongue, as mentioned, is the victim, the one that we worry about. It is the most readily displaced, and it can be displaced anteriorly. It can be displaced superiorly, as we saw in the image of Our Lady. And more importantly, more concerningly, it can get pushed backward and cause airway occlusion or asphyxiation. And that's why in the pre-antibiotic era, Ludwig's angina actually had a 50% mortality for patients because of this exactly. They died from asphyxiation because the submandibular space became so full, the normal anatomy gets compromised and the airway gets occluded. So what does this look like in real life? This is an example of a picture being worth a thousand words. We wanna show you these cases in real life. So the first time you encounter them is not in clinical practice, but actually in your learning and in your training. So here is our video of our patient with Ludwig's angina. 
Alright, ma'am, can you tell me where you are? I am in emergency room number 23. And what is the date today? I believe today's date. So you can see that we included audio in this account because noticing the person's voice, their hot potato or muffled voice is an important element. As we see from the side view, the submandibular space is very full and very tender to the touch. Now as we come back to look into the patient's mouth, we see that tongue elevation. There's a slight asymmetry in this patient, but both elements of the tongue are displaced superiorly. Okay, and finally we come up on the complications of Ludwig's, and this is important to recognize because as we mentioned, it's an aggressive and rapidly spreading disease and can lead to some pretty serious complications. So a quick reminder of what the submandibular space is and represents, it's the sublingual and the submylohyoid spaces. And as we saw in that graphic by Reynolds and Chow, there's a lot of communication in these potential and real spaces of the face and neck. And an important thing that we need to recognize is this buccopharyngeal gap. If we look at this graphic again, we can see these communications. There's that submandibular, sublingual space, which can go over to the lateral pharyngeal space, the retropharyngeal space, and down to the mediastinum. So complications of this disease process can include things like epiglottitis. You can get retropharyngeal space infections, and it can go on to actually infect the superior mediastinum and lead to mediastinitis. So pretty serious, pretty real, and important disease complications to recognize for Ludwig's angina. All right, let's talk treatment before we wrap up. So of course, in emergency medicine, we know the ABCs, right? In all of these patients, we're starting with ABCs, airway, breathing, and circulation. So for Ludwig's angina, A is a hard stop, and we have to actually think about A standing for asphyxiation here, because as we mentioned, before antibiotics, 50% of patients died from occlusion of the airway from Ludwig's angina. So airway assessment and airway procurement as needed is a very important first step for these patients. Now the surgical airway, the cricothyrotomy or tracheostomy was the airway of choice for Ludwig's angina in the days of antiquity. We have since moved on and moved to other more sophisticated airway procurement techniques as our technology has grown. So certainly direct visualization and airway procurement is an option but many are recommending at this point using fiber optic intubation and more specifically a nasal fiber optic intubation because the oral route is just not a viable option in these patients who have such displacement of their tongue. Now, what percentage of these patients need airway intervention? That was something that I was hoping to find to really sort of quantify how serious this disease is and how likely I am to go on to intubate a patient I find with Ludwig's angina. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of great data on this topic. I can say that there is a trend toward airway observation over more aggressive airway procurement, but the data on numbers is difficult to quantify because it includes a lot of retrospective data and data before the routine use of these less invasive or more likely to be successful interventions such as nasal fiber optic intubation. As an example of this, a study that was done in 1988 showed a 42% tracheostomy rate in 141 cases that were reviewed going far as far back as 1945. 
So recognize here, obviously, we're comparing apples to oranges when we're looking at how Ludwig's engine was treated in 1945 versus in its treatment in the modern era. So suffice it to say that there's a huge trend toward more airway observation as we get more facile and more aggressive with the use of antibiotics. And if there's an airway procurement need, nasal fiber optic intubation is the most recommended route. So now let's talk about how we're going to fight the bugs, right? We have a mean, lean, face-eating machine in this bilateral aggressive cellulitis. How are we going to treat it with antibiotics? So infections that originate from the mouth have the difficulty of having many different species being involved. There's strep, there's staph, there's bacteroides. In patients with diabetes, we're talking about Klebsiella pneumoniae. There's a lot of different types of bugs that we need to target here. Again, I recommend KISS, keep it simple, stupid, and recognize that we're dealing with gram-positive, gram-negatives, aerobes, and anaerobes. Now, in covering this breadth of different types of pathogens, there are many different approaches, but one of the simplest ways to get all of the above is to use a penicillin with a beta-lactamase inhibitor. So your amp sulbactam or your pip tazo. Now certainly we can use clinda in our penicillin allergic patients, and we can add vancomycin or linazolid if we have a very significant concern for MRSA. And finally, we need to talk about source control, right? So given that most Ludwig's angina stems from a mandibular odontogenic infection, source teeth often need to be removed. In addition, there's a surgical need for a few specific cases. One would be an abscess development requiring incision and drainage. As we mentioned in the beginning, generally Ludwig's angina is a cellulitis, and early in the disease process, there is not abscess. That is not to say that later in the course, or patients presenting later, that abscesses may not be present, and these abscesses may require IND. Surgery will also be indicated for patients who have a failure of antibiotics. Now, the definition of failure of antibiotics is going to be a loose one, but we can get the general principles here. Failure of antibiotics is going to represent patients with worsening disease despite optimal antibiotic therapy, movement toward airway occlusion, or development of some of the complications that we mentioned earlier. Now, there's an interesting study in 2018 that can help you get a sense of who is or what percentage of patients may go on to have a failure of antibiotics. They showed that 26% of patients moved on to airway compromise without surgical intervention versus 3% moving on to airway compromise when surgery was utilized. So with that information, we should recognize that we should have a low bar to initiate surgical therapy if we find that our patient is not improving despite optimal antibiotic therapy. But of course, this is going to be done in consultation with our specialists such as OMFS. So in summary and conclusion, we define Ludwig's angina as a submandibular space infection, which includes a sublingual and submylohyoid spaces. That is a cellulitis, and it is bilateral by definition, and it is aggressively spreading disease. We mentioned that the source two-thirds of the time is going to be our mandibular molar, often molar two or three. We talked about the common presentation of fever, dysphagia, and voice changes with the serious complication of asphyxiation. Let's remember that before antibiotics, 50% of patients died from this disease. We talked about the complications including epiglottitis, retropharyngeal diseases, and mediastinitis. We talked about the airway being our number one concern and the major role of the emergency medicine and anesthesia providers in caring for these patients. Talked about awake fiber optic nasal intubation as the preferred route to avoid oral intubation in a patient with a small oral opening. 
Then we talked about antibiotic therapy for these patients with a great starting point being a penicillin with a beta-lactamase inhibiting agent such as ampsilbactam or piptazo. And we talked a little bit about source control with the dental extraction as needed and surgery for patients who fail aggressive and appropriate antibiotic therapy. So again, this information is very important to know. These are the elements of the disease process, but most importantly, you need to see the clinical side of this. Take a look at that video. Take a look at the images of the patient with Ludwig's angina so you can recognize it readily when you see it in clinical practice. Thanks so much for listening. That is all for the Down East EM podcast for now. You can check out more great content from us on our website, downeastem.org, and check out our Twitter handle, at downeastem.